0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there and welcome back, my friends. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 153 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing the sustainable fashion industry, where it's been, where it's going, and whether 2020, almost 2021, is indeed the time where the fashion industry is finally offering consumers style, affordability, and transparency. Today, I am bringing you an interview with internationally recognized lifestyle visionary, Marcy Zaroff. And that is right, I did say visionary. You may not know Marcy by name, but I am absolutely willing to bet you are aware of some of her accomplishments. For one, Marcy was a key driver in the development of the Global Organic Textile Standard, or GOTS, which we will discuss later in this episode. Marcy also coined the term eco-fashion, and she is currently the founder and CEO of Metaware, the first GOTS and cradle-to-cradle-certified cut-and-sew manufacturer. Marcy also happens to be an author, a mother, a keynote speaker, and the recipient of multiple awards over her decades-long career. Phew! (laughs) So as you can imagine, Marcy has a wealth of knowledge to share with you today. And in our interview, she does a great job, in my opinion, of taking her three decades of knowledge and consolidating it all into actionable steps you and I can take right now as we seek to step into the roles of conscious fashion consumers. Enjoy the interview.
1: I've had a three decade journey in sustainable products and services. So kind of stumbled upon a book uh, when I was 16 years old called Living in the Light, which really taught me that there's so much more than what we see with our naked eye. And sort of Set me on a path where consciousness was always kind of part of my lifestyle, and I went to business school because I was also the uh, stereotypical, you know, entrepreneur wired with you know all of the qualities of an entrepreneur: tenacity and persistence and vision. and And so, I got a business degree and I started my first business in 1990, which is called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and I co founded that um, really to be a solution to help. People take the journey to health and wellness and self realization and discovery. And um, I started my career in food, and I soon found out there was an interconnection in different lifestyle categories from agriculture to popular culture. And my mentor, the founder of Aveda, um, taught me a lot about the personal care industry. And he was one of my best friends. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, but we connected the dots from food into beauty. I then discovered eco-fashion is really the missing link or fashion was the missing link in this whole wellness equation. So um, I coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion in 1995 and started a brand called Under the Canopy, which was the first sustainable fashion and home brand in America. And we really pioneered the sustainable fashion movement for, for many, many years. And now my latest venture is called Eco Fashion Corp.
0: So much there. <laughs> I've learned about yes and your philosophy, yes and first through your book, Eco Renaissance. And so, you make the argument in your book, and I believe in your business practices that in order for sustainable and ethical fashion to become mainstream, it has to be stylish and affordable and transparent. So I'm wondering if we could start our conversation by you talking about those three adjectives as well as what the yes and philosophy means to you.
1: Yeah. So the book Eco-Renaissance, the premise of that book is through the lens of design, we can change the world. But you have to lead with design. You have to lead with that kind of visceral, um, application. So whether it's, it's food, it has to taste good in beauty. It has to smell good and function right. And in fashion, it has to be stylish. So you start with design and then it's, you know, you start with the look good part. Then you have to break the stigmas that, you know, sustainable and ethical fashion is, you know, crunchy, frumpy, boxy, beige, boring, you know, made from hemp. Can you smoke it after you wear it? All the kind of stigmas around, you know, compromise on style. And you really have to focus on giving people, again, what they want. Now, the second stigma is that you have to pay a lot more for sustainable fashion. And that also is not true. Um, It really comes down to knowing how to navigate a supply chain as a as a manufacturer slash brand and we start at the farm and we build up the supply chain from farm to finished fashion we cut out all the inefficiencies we're vertically integrated and so we pass that value on to our partners and consumers so that you know you don't feel like you have to pay more but you're getting all the value add so the yes and philosophy is yes it's style quality fit color comfort hand price And, oh, by the way, it's also environmentally and socially responsible. So it's certified organic, certified to the GOT standard. It's uh, low impact diet, fair trade and fair labor policies, you know, all the good stuff that really takes the product to a deeper level. And that is where Yes And really um, is at the forefront of this movement because from source to story, we give you know, our consumers a way to, to look, feel, and do good in the world.
0: I think it probably in decades past, it was true that there had to be some sort of sacrifice if you wanted to dress ethically or sustainably, maybe you were wearing the boxy beiges that you could (laughs) perhaps smoke after you wear it. But in 2020, is it possible to dress ethically, dress sustainably, and sacrifice nothing? Are we there yet?
1: You know, it's, I would say relatively speaking, and when I and when I say relatively speaking, I'm comparing to the organic and sustainable food world first, right? Because we're so much farther along. In fact, you know, organic food now, 83% of, of Americans are eating organic food at least occasionally. And I started my career, you know, where everyone in the organic industry, we all knew each other, right? Like it was that small. So I've seen massive growth. And then in the in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he goes from food into food clothing and shelter. That's the next evolution of man, right? So I feel like relatively speaking, again, we're just getting started. There is a lot of product out there today that absolutely you could be thinking about next time you're buying something, next time you know, you have uh, an event and you want something new. There's so many exciting ways to be a part of this movement. So number one, um, you can rent. You have, you have, uh, companies like Rent the Runway or Wardrobe, and they they might not be made with sustainable materials necessarily, but the rental economy is a circular economy, and so that in and of itself is considered you know sustainable fashion. As is repurposing and vintage companies like the real real or the renewal workshop right so again these are other ways in the in the spokes of the wheel of sustainable fashion that you can participate swapping and then when it comes to you know buying something new always look at the fibers and materials. And I think we're seeing more and more of those dots from food to fiber and organic connecting where the Organic Trade Association started an organic fiber council. And we have almost 40 members now that are offering organic clothing in their you know, in their collection. So yes, I think there is a lot more than there's ever been. The fair trade movement in textiles has taken off, which is very important. And of course, fashion revolution is an incredible resource for consumers to learn about those kinds of brands and retailers that are doing well by doing good in the world.
0: Hmm. I have noticed that even the quintessential fast fashion chains are now coming out with green initiatives, presumably because there is a desire by consumers to dress themselves in more ethical options, right? But I'm wondering, why are they so slow to incorporate sustainability and why has it taken so long? So
1: there's a spectrum of what you'd call green, right? There's light green and then there's dark green. Those in the quote dark green bucket are brands like Eco Fashion Corp, like Yes And and Seed to Style and Farm to Home, where we're born with the DNA of sustainability and no compromise. So coming out of the gate, you know, we're not half pregnant. We're not saying here's our conventional product and oh, by the way, here's our organic and sustainable product because you're kind of to really... Tell the right story, you have this conflict of interest where you're undermining your conventional product to tell the right stories in your sustainable product, right? So therein lies this sort of inherent obstacle that retailers and brands are scared of because, you know, it's not always about all the great things they're doing to make progress and take that journey forward. They get oftentimes eaten alive by activists around what they're not doing. Right. And so because of that, many of them have been very hesitant. But what's happening now is the internet has changed the game. Social media, access to to information and transparency, being able to ask the questions, who made my clothes? Where are they coming from? How are they being made? What's in them? And when people ask those questions and they then demand the answers, it's forcing brands and retailers now to take action, right? So as you start to move down that spectrum from dark green into a lighter green, there's those who are coming into this movement because they're now feeling like, okay, we've got to do this. We want to be a part of this. And now we need the help to figure out how we do this. But we recognize this is, this is our, path and we need you know we're we're now starting that journey and and obviously companies are in all different places on this journey and then there's the light green which is really we have to do this we we don't want to do this but we feel pressure to do this and you know and a lot of companies during covid got called out on you know not paying their factories and the workers and you know there's a lot of movements uh from within the sustainable fashion industry whether it's Greenpeace and their um, detox fashion campaign or its remake or um, or its fashion revolution, where there's a lot of pressure now. And I think at this point, it's not even about staying ahead. It's about not being left behind. That if you're not integrating sustainability, social and environmental into your business strategies, into your products and your productions, you're going to be out of the game. It's just a matter of when.
0: Hmm. I love that spectrum, that distinction between the light green, the dark green, and everything in between. And sometimes it's obvious, it's easy to distinguish the light green brands from the dark green brands. But do you have any tips and tricks for listeners who might struggle with discerning you know, what companies have been doing it right from the get-go, what companies have sustainability ingrained in their mission versus all of the other Players out there who are just trying to not be left behind. Yeah, sure.
1: So, You know, if you do read I mean, the internet is so amazing. If you, if you Google and you do research on these different brands, you're going to be able to ascertain which of these brands have been in it for the long haul versus the ones who are just now jumping on the bandwagon, you know, you know, drinking the proverbial, you know, organic and sustainability Kool-Aid, right? So, you know, I think it's important that you read about the brands, the founders, the, you know, their business models, and then you look at the fibers, the fabrics, that are being used in products so as an example a truly dark green brand or conscious brand you know that has like a strong stake in the game knows where the boundaries are you know between products that or fabrics that you know would be qualified as sustainable versus not so if you start to see as an example organic cotton blended with conventional polyester that's that's a red flag you know, whereas in the God standard, you can use up to thirty percent recycled poly. Same thing with uh cellulosic fibers, right? If you see a brand, you know, marrying organic cotton with rayon, that's not a good sign, right? Because rayon is extremely toxic and it sort of defeats the purpose of right what this what we're trying to do here. But if you see it blended with 10-cell, now that you know, that actually is a very positive blend. And and you can use up to thirty percent TEN Cell in a got certified product. So, I think part of it is the brand's mission and ethos. Um, part of it is, you know, what are they doing with their products? What are their are, how transparent are these companies? You know, are they telling the full story like we might not be perfect today, but these are our goals and this is we're going to tell you each step of the way, you know, that we're not there yet, but this these are the moves we're making. And I think that's what, you know, consumers should look for.
0: Hmm. I really want to hone in on the affordability factor because listeners write to me often about how they would love to support ethical and sustainable clothing brands, but there still remains the affordability problem. What needs to happen in the ethical and sustainable fashion realms so that the onus of price or expense is not on the consumer.
1: Yeah, so this goes back to when I was talking about our supply chains. It's about becoming more efficient because in a typical garment supply chain, you can have markups every step of the way. And just to reiterate there, you know, a garment can change hands seven to 10 times in a supply chain from the farm, to the gin, to the spinning, to the knitting or weaving, to the cutting, sewing, printing, dyeing, finishing, packaging, and then shipping, right? And so if you're not in a vertically integrated setup or you're not building your own supply chain, what happens? is you're subject to markups by brokers in the middle of every step in that chain. So companies that go to factories and they say, hey, we want to build a sustainable product, what happens is is that, that factory will generally outsource a broker to get them the fabric, who then outsources a yarn broker to get them, you know, the yarn and and so on and a cotton broker. And everybody's putting their markup. Now, granted, organic cotton does cost more money than conventional cotton. But if you're efficient and you're not working with all the middlemen, then the premium. At the at the farm gate can actually be amortized over, especially over a large production, where it's very minimal at the end. And so, you know, you're passing that value on to the consumer in the end. If you're if you're efficient and vertically integrated, but if you're not, what happens is everybody in the supply chain says things like, "Well, it's organic or sustainable," so people are willing to pay more. I'm going to take an extra markup, and that's oftentimes what's happened through the years. Is the product then becomes unattainable. So I'm very excited. It's always been part of my mantra to break that stigma that, you know, our clothing is not growing in the department store, right? We people's lives are being affected uh, at both the farm and the factory level. But if we give people what they want, and what they're seeking, and give them a way to make a difference to human and environmental wellness, farmer and worker welfare, and future generations, then it's not why would you buy organic and sustainable fashion? It's why wouldn't you buy sustainable fashion? If you can, you know, again, offer uh, accessibility, affordability, style, first and foremost, you know, authenticity or transparency, and then it's no sacrifice, no deprivation. It's you're getting so much more and that's the yes and philosophy, right? So going back to, I, we get it. We see that you know affordability can be a huge roadblock. Um, that's why we've partnered with QVC to bring Farm to Home and Seed to Style to life. Both are going to be very inclusive brands. Seed to Style goes from XX small all the way to 3XL.
0: Hmm. Of all your initiatives, <laughs> one that really excites me and one that I have to ask you about while I'm speaking to you is Reset, which is your regenerative in conversion to organic cotton farm project. I want to hear all about it, especially because it's just sounds and seems so revolutionary. So we will get into all of the details behind Reset after a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We are nine months into a global pandemic, and the holidays are just around the corner, so it is no surprise that my stress levels have skyrocketed. That's why I chose BetterHelp for support. BetterHelp assessed my needs and matched me with a licensed professional therapist. From my first session, I could tell my counselor's priority was helping me cope with the demands of motherhood, pandemics, and everything in between. I love that our meetings are done via phone or video, so taking care of me fits within my busy life, and I never have to hire a babysitter or sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. The best part? BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com forward slash minimal. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health by visiting betterhelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash minimal.
1: So, RESET is an acronym for Regenerate the Environment, Society, and Economy through Textiles. And I co-founded this project about three years ago, and we've since kind of morphed and evolved into, you know, really expanding it where we have two tracks going on now. We have one track that is um, regenerative practices. That are being um, used as a lever to rebuild soil health and things like cover cropping or green manure, uh, crop rotation, um, using uh, low tillage or no tillage, intercropping, you know, with things like lentils. And we're building the soil's uh, health, which ultimately is. one of the greatest solutions to climate change because when soil is healthy and thriving and the ecosystem is alive and the biodiversity is, you know, is alive and thriving... The soil becomes a sponge that literally sucks carbon out of the atmosphere, right? So I, I often refer to soil as the skin of the earth. If you think about our skin and our bodies is meant, you know, to absorb, it's actually our, our largest organ for absorption, which is why what we put on our bodies is just as important as what we put in our bodies, right? So on a similar front, you know, when soil is healthy, it is like a sink for carbon, but when soil is unhealthy, when it's dead from conventional agriculture, uh, which is obviously you know using tons of pesticides and and toxic sprays as well as GMO seeds. What happens is the soil becomes dirt, and it no longer serves in that kind of sponge um, absorbing way. And then the carbon goes back up into the atmosphere. Water doesn't get retained in the soil, so it just literally runs off. And then you don't have plants that are resilient to climate change. So you know, reset is meant to help farmers get off of GMO seeds and all chemical inputs, help them rebuild their soil through regenerative practices, and then we put them on a track to certified organic. So there's a three-year transition to get from conventional agriculture to organic agriculture. And during that three-year transition, it's often very challenging for farmers to have a market for the extra work, for the training, for the cost of the seeds, all to make this transition. So the RESET program helps them make this transition Gets them to organic where then, of course, they can have a premium on their cotton when it's certified organic. So we have two tracks at Reset now. We have a track that's already certified organic and a track that is in conversion to organic. And the track that's already certified, we're now resetting that to go into biodynamic. So it's regenerative and organic and moving into biodynamic, certified biodynamic by Demeter. And the other cotton is, you know, we're very excited about some of the partnerships we're brewing because it really is collaboration. It's about building win-win business models. It's about one plus one equals 11. You know, we're stronger together than we are apart. So the MetaWare business in EcoFashion Corp works with our private label clients and what their needs are where clients that really want to work with regenerative and organic cotton, we have the ability through the RESET program to not only trace that cotton up their supply chain, but assure them that it is truly authentic and verified and certified to the NOP standard, which is the USDA organic program.
0: One thing that I find so amazing about you and your vision is that you do believe and you make true that one plus one can equal 11. You have a vision that I think is lacking in so many spheres. So I just want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you for your commitment over your career to organic. And I can't let you off the line without talking to you about you being a key figure in the development of the global organic textile standard, GOTS, I've talked about it many times on this show. So I want to ask you, first of all, why do you think the GOTS certification is important? And for any listeners who you know have no idea what that is, maybe you can also break it down and tell us, real bare bones, why should we be concerned about the chemicals in our home textiles and in our apparel?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, the eighty-three percent of Americans are now buying organic food. It's a it's a fifty-five point one billion dollar U.S. industry alone, and what that says is. You know, consumers are voting with their dollars, right? I want, I trust the Organic Seal. I believe that this is better for human and environmental health, right? I'm going to get behind this product for my the wellness of you know the world and my family. So we cannot use the NOP Organic Seal that people recognize on their food and sometimes beauty products. We can't use that in a textile because the five percent allowances that are made to be able to get that certification are all. Food based ingredients. So, what happened in the 90s, as I was a part of this organic fiber council of the Organic Trade Association, you know, when we kind of had this epiphany that, whoa, wait a minute, you know, for people to trust organic textiles. And again, this is in the 90s, we need our version of the NOP organic certification. And so, a very small group of us got together and wrote the equivalent to that standard for an organic textile from farm all the way through to finished product with every touch point in the supply chain being part of the GOTS certification. So, you know, what are the dyes? What are the finishes? What are the fibers and materials you can and can't blend with? You know, what is, what kind of packaging? Um, Literally it's, it covers the entire finished product. So you, uh, you have a, at the end, a, an organic product that through and through, you know, you know, everyone who's touched the product and everything that's inputted in the product. So what happened though, was that we had our standard in the US. And then Germany wrote a standard, a similar... Uh, organic standards. So did uh, the UK, as well as Japan. And so the four countries, actually, our trade organizations came together to create what's known today as the GOTS standard, the Global Organic Textile Standard, realizing that textiles cross borders and boundaries every day. This needed to be a global collaboration. Therefore, it took six years. We all worked together. It was a lot of work. And we launched the the GOTS certification. And my former company under the canopy brought the first got certified product to the United States um, in two thousand six, actually it was organic certified organic bed sheets on the on the shelves of target and so today there are over five thousand factories that are got certified around the world. This movement is still you know as I mentioned earlier relatively speaking to food is still at its infancy, but it's growing rapidly and a got certified product does not mean the brand is certified gots it doesn't mean the factory is certified gots it means Every single production has to be certified to the standard. So when it's an audit, you literally have to submit your packaging for a specific product, as well as every input that's in the product, as well as what, you know, fiber and materials are in the product. And then it gets approved and you get what's known as a transaction certificate at the end of the production. And that's how you know. So, so there is still a lot of misuse of the got seal out there because it is, you know, we're just we're pushing hard to to build momentum with GOTS and it's definitely gaining traction. But there is still a lot of confusion, and so people think, oh, if I get my brand certified, I can put the GOTS logo on all my product, right? So I just caution people to understand that again, learn about the brands. If you're unsure about a product, you can always ask for a transaction certificate. And and you know, companies like uh, Eco Fashion Corp, Yes and Farm to Home and Seed to Style. You know, we take it very seriously to have third party certification because we can legitimately say to a consumer when we are uh, certifying a specific product or collection to the GOT standard, not only is it free of GMOs, it's free of pesticides, insecticides and any uh, harmful chemicals in in the soil and production of, of the cotton or the the fiber, but then there's no pest, there's no formaldehyde, there's no heavy metals, no acetone, um, no chlorine bleach, no optical brighteners. All of our packaging is post-consumer recycled. There's no PVC. Um, So, you know, every step of the way, we are looking at the uh, environmental footprint of the product. And then the social is also embedded in the GOTS standard, fair labor and fair pay, safe working conditions, no child labor. So GOTS really is all-encompassing, and I consider it the platinum standard for a finished textile.
0: Before I let you go, I have to ask you about your personal best tips for my listeners who want to shop more ethically for their clothes and for their apparel, but don't really know what to do or where to start or where to go, perhaps. In your book, you had so many tips from yourself and from other influencers in your sphere. I loved (laughs) buy the basics and then accessorize the basics instead of buying what's already accessorized. Or stay away from the fabric blends. You had mentioned earlier, you know, organic cotton with rayon. The tag on that garment is going to say organic cotton in big, bold letters, and the rayon is going to be, you know, kind of hidden. So what what tips and tricks do you have for my listeners who are just starting on their sustainable and ethical fashion journey and really need some guidance from a pro? Yeah,
1: so um just to you know again give a little plug on that, but on my book, Eco Renaissance, and the tagline is co-creating a stylish, sexy, and sustainable world. It's available at QVC. Um, as well as, you know, on QVC.com, as well as Amazon and Target.com and uh, many other places. But, and I give a lot of different references around this specific question, but I'll just say this, that, you know, reading labels is very, very important. We're living in a world of COVID. So, you know, right now, I mean, I think more people are shopping at home and shopping online, which, you know, is a great way to get access to information. So again, read about the brand's uh, mission and who they are and who's behind those brands. Look at you know. When, read about the products. You know the red flags are are when they're, they don't have certifications because you really don't know. And which is why you know I'm a big advocate for things like the GOT Standard or you know in the case of uh, minimizing chemicals the Ocotex Standard or Blue Sign, um, which aren't as well known because they're not really the full finished product. They're more the finishing on the product, um, so they don't include the fiber necessarily. And then um, fair. Trades USA has the fair trade certified standard, which is, um, very important in terms of living wages, the cradle to cradle fashion, positive standard. So cradle to cradle started in the building world. And I was on the, um, advisory board where we launched what's known as fashion positive, which is the fashion vertical of the cradle, cradle standard that focuses on material health, material reuse, renewable energy, um, water stewardship and social justice. And so certifications are key. Brand, you know, brand mission is key. Reading labels about fibers, as you just, you know, mentioned before, you know, big red flags are when companies uh, blend with things like rayon or regular polyester or, you know, toxic fibers. And at the end of the day, really what you want to look for when you're supporting, you know, sustainable fashion is, you know, is the product, either certified or is there a way to get that information? You can, you know, reach out to brands and ask them, you know, where is your organic cotton from? Um, It always scares me when, you know, they don't know because that's a huge red flag. And, you know, there are companies that will buy knowingly or unknowingly small amounts of organic cotton and even blend that with conventional cotton. And then they'll put on, you know, in the fine print, to your point, you know, this is an organic Or this is a cotton product, but then in the big print, they'll put organic right? So there are laws against that. In fact, the USDA has embraced the gott standard as the equivalent to the food standard, and they have issued a few lawsuits. Um, and the Federal Trade Commission, their job is to you know prevent mismarketing. Um, so they have their green guides and, and protecting consumers from mismarketing. And so they also are very supportive of the gott standard. And so I think it really comes down to know the brands, know the designers, know the products, know the fibers, read labels, and check out in my book, The Fashion Challenge. And final plug is again Yesand which is join yesand.com and this is our new brand which is all about affordability, accessibility, authenticity but no compromise on style or quality.
0: I will absolutely link to Yesand and some of your other initiatives in this week's show notes, but I think that the perfect Way to wrap up this conversation is to reiterate what was said at the beginning, which is, of course, yes, and yes, it is absolutely possible to be stylish and affordable and shop sustainably and ethically in 2020. Would that be right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and and we're just getting started, so you know, I think the world of eco fashion um has a long way to go, but that you absolutely today um you know, I wouldn't go out and just you know throw away everything in your wardrobe, but next time that you are you know looking to to make a choice, choose sustainably so we can all wear the change we wish to see in the world.
0: I so hope you enjoyed that chat with Marcy Zaroff. I have linked to some, not all, of her accomplishments, endeavors, projects in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 153. That's M A M A minimalist.com forward slash 153. Now, before we say goodbye today, I have three quick housekeeping issues. The first housekeeping issue is that I am starting a new series for this podcast in 2021 aptly titled Real Life Sustainable Minimalists, I bet you can guess what it's about. It is where I am interviewing you, the listeners, about your real life. I really want to get into with this series, what brought you into the eco-minimalist sphere? What successes are you experiencing? What challenges are you still facing? If you think you have an interesting Or interesting ish story, and you would like to chat with me in a way that will also be recorded and broadcast across the world, no pressure. Just email me. I'll link to my email address in this week's show notes. I would love to speak to you. Housekeeping issue number two is that Sustainable Minimalism, the book, is now available for pre order, and I'm so excited about it. I spent all of quarantine hunched over my desk writing this book, and I wrote it for all of you. If you think you might want to own Sustainable Minimalism, the book, I urge you from the bottom of my heart to pre-order it now. And that is because pre-ordering is an excellent way to potentially get the book onto the bestsellers list. And that is because every pre-order that comes in between now and release date, which is January 19th, I believe, either 19th or 20th, Every pre-order that comes in now will count toward the release date week's first week sales. So pre-ordering is super important and I wanna thank you all so much for your support, for your listening, for your emails, for your messages on social media, for keeping me in check when I get things wrong. I wouldn't be doing this every single week if it weren't for all of you. So thank you so much. It's the season of gratitude and I am grateful for each and every one of you. My third and final piece of housekeeping is a friendly reminder that if you like the show, leave it a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. It is the number one way that you can help the show grow, and I appreciate you. I will see you next week. On next week's show, I am bringing you an interview with a 20-year-old CEO of a snack company that is making big waves. I will see you then. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends.